You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 103, White Snake Love Hunter. And coming to you from the freshly returned to suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, your co-host, John, first vaccine, Matola. Oh, you got it. hi Yep, first vaccinated. Nice one. Well, yeah, I was the first vaccinated. You were the first no, one. I got my first. I got my first shot on Friday. Oh, good. Any side effects? Um, well, I mean, you know, the the pain in your arm, which yep. is to be expected. But the weird thing that nobody told me about was, is like the next day I had, like, I mean, even to like lift my arm and point, like it it really hurt. But oh, I yeah. mean, you know, I get that with like the flu shot. So mm-hmm. but I had this weird like going from my elbow all the way down to like the side of my palm was like really numb. Oh really? Which was really weird. Um it 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 was kind of a weird sensation. Like I woke up and my hand was like I couldn't feel my hand. And I usually like sometimes I fall asleep on my arm. So I'm like, oh I probably fell asleep on my arm. But I'm laying on my back and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> then eight hours later and, it's still numb but then for the rest of the day and it was just on the outside of my arm and like to the you know that fleshy side of your you know my palm and it was like really weird and i kept like touching it it was like all sensitive it was really a weird sensation mm. but, um, that's really it and then like you know like most people say magically the next day i woke up and like just all of it was gone that's um, good yeah no um no like uh tired or uh flu-like side effects from the first one so um i hope you have the same luck for the second yeah if not then uh i'll be canceling an episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe we could schedule around it don't get it don't get your don't get it on a sunday (laughs) yeah i'll I'll let you know when the second one is when i um you know they tell you you can rebook um when you're there but they were just like oh well we don't have any like they were, we're all booked up. So they gave me a paper and they're like, here, call this number in five days. And I'm like, Oh, me and the other thousand people that are here. That's great. I'm sure I'll get an appointment. <laughs> oh man. So we'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. We'll be fully vaccinated when you're fully vaccinated. Um, yeah, maybe we can, uh, we can come visit or something. Do, do a that would be live great in person show. I need yeah. To you got to get out of this house, right? <laughs> need to get out of, I gotta get out of this state never let alone right? the house so. oh well mm, we're almost yes, there glad folks. you are uh glad you are halfway there um as as the wonderful bon jovi once said you're halfway there and hopefully we'll be uh <laughs> in a few weeks we can announce that you're fully vaccinated um but hey if you like the deep purple podcast for some crazy reason why don't you join the illustrious list of patrons and support the show or you know what if you don't want to do that you can do the simplest thing leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. that helps support the show you could buy something from our etsy store t-shirts mugs and i think that's pretty much all we have right now you could become a patron on patreon or paypal for as little as one dollar a month and join 
the cast of characters that keeps this show afloat. And coming to us at the executive level this week, we have the $20 Shades of Deep Pockets tier, Ryan M. The $15 Highball Shooter tier, we have Alan, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Frank Thielgard, Mortensen, Clay Wambacher, and Mikkel Steen. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, we have Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net. Jeff Bryce, Gerald Kelly, who's been sending me some really great articles and things lately. Thank you, uh, Jerry. And uh, Victor Campos, thank you to all of you at our executive level. And we will thank some more patrons at the break. Um, but before we moved on, I uh, just want to ask you, check out Deep Dive Podcast network.com if you want to check out any of the podcasts uh, uh, like-minded podcasts out there such as skinner reconsidered sabbath bloody podcast you're right heat podcast a uh, lap of the pods and who am i leaving out sabbath Bloody podcast um terry tebow mathley of course i don't have it written out anymore so of course i forget um and then <laughs> apple podcast review we have a review coming to you from the wonderful steven somerville who we will thank later uh this a review is over a year old because, um, as mentioned in previous episodes, it's from another country and Apple Podcasts is really weird about how they segregate those uh, reviews. But this review is titled Greatest Deep Purple Podcast. As a purple fan, I've been following them since the age of two and listening to the Concerto 1999 at that age was something really bizarre. But that was my first introduction to the band, and Pictured Within has become the song in which I have gotten into music today, and Purple, and then 13 years later, getting to go to the Albert Hall for the John Lord Tribute Concert was something I will never forget, and getting to live like the 1999 concert was something special. Sorry, my screen's bugging out right now. I first saw this podcast when I saw a review of the video version to the Butterfly Ball concert, and I immediately got into it just because of how they can review all sorts of Purple Family Tree content, and I've become the huge fan of it, and hopefully many more great episodes to come. I would recommend this to every Purple fan there is. Thank you, Stephen Somerville. Much appreciated. And, and little did he know, a year later, many great episodes have and many um and much support from Stephen Somerville. We really appreciate it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember he he had told me that he he was I remember he was telling me he was like super into the Concerto 1999 and but I wasn't I was I thought I was confused at first because he was saying his age and I was like, "Well, how could he be in like I, at first I thought he was there and then I was like, "Why is he so into the 1999 Concerto and um he's been listening since the age of 2, so I think he's got us beat." I think he's got most deep purple fans beat. Most deep purple fans do not have uh, a history dating back to the age of two. That's pretty incredible. So mm. thank you for the kind words that you wrote a year ago, Stephen. We appreciate your support. All right. So this week, oh my goodness, we're getting into the one and only uh, White Snake Love Hunter album. John, I got to ask you before we go on, what what's your... I think I could probably imagine, but what's your memory of the Love Hunter album? Like, do you, do you have any memories attached to first uh, getting this album or hearing it? Well, as I've mentioned before, um, getting all of the White Snake back catalog pre '87 um, was kind of a uh, kind of a uh, mm -hmm. hodgepodge. I guess you could say back then, like I, I was just picking up like any old White Snake album that 
I could get to, or, or at that point, like cassette, I believe, um, to complete my collection. And so, of course, because of the album cover, I knew that this was, <laughs> you know, this was a White Snake album. <laughs> it's hard to miss. Um, but um, yeah, I picked it up amidst all the other White Snake, uh, uh, you know, original um, band albums that I was picking up at the time. So um, no uh, really strong memory attached to it at first. Um, you know, can't remember how or when I got it, but it was definitely like in that time, like, uh, you know, early mid nineties. Um, but definitely after that, it become like one of um, one of my favorites. Um, definitely, or at least definitely had a few of my favorite tracks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can definitely say that for a lot of the early white snake albums. I mean, if they're not, um, you know, if I don't, if I don't love them all the way through, they definitely have several great tracks on them. So I haven't heard this one in a while, so it'll be great to hear it again. Yeah. Same here. It's been a while since mm-hmm. I sat down and let's really listen to this one. Um, mm-hmm. I like you, like when I kind of made that connection finally and figured out like, Oh, white snake at one point was like, almost the purple mark mark five or whatever you know it was kind of a continuation in some ways i thought oh i want to go out and get all the original stuff that had john lord and ian pace on it but at the time didn't realize ian pace wasn't on this one um so just grabbed the ones that i could find or whatever was around i can't remember the i got you know you just would go into the record store and grab whatever they had it was this one Mm I grabbed maybe two or three at the same time. It was definitely this one. And I can't remember what the other one or two may have been, but this one obviously, you know, because of the album cover stood out and I was like, Holy crap. Like that was, I went to the white snake section for the first time and looked through it. Like, Whoa, that one kind of catches your eye as we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so I, um, yeah, so I, so, so I, I, I listened to this one and I really, really dug it. I'm just, I'm really trying to figure out what the other one was, but at any rate, um, really dug the, the, the groove and everything of this album. Thought it was, thought it was really great. So, um, something to, uh, something for us to talk about when we get to the, uh, album art portion for sure. Um, so this album was recorded in April and May of 1979 at Clearwell Castle. Um, using the Robo- the Rolling Stones mobile unit again. Um, so it sounds like a child is maybe being killed or slowly dying upstairs. I hear like a lot of stomping and a lot of screaming. <laughs> it's hard to tell when you have kids if if is, are are they being killed or are they being asked to brush their teeth? Like you know, it could be um, the same reaction from either. So it's hard to tell. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the book I don't have it with me, but Martin Popoff has the great um, uh, White Snake book, uh, which kind of sail away. It's I think it's sail away the David Coverdale story, which kind of goes through it. And he's got some great interviews with Bernie Marsden in that book. Um, Marsden talks a lot about this album. Um, 
he said that it was freezing cold during the recording and that he said the cold and soulless nature of the castle made you work harder because it was just this really cold, weird environment. They were always recording in castles, of course, at this time. Um, he said at, at night after recording, there'd be these enormous banquets with lots of drinking and um, just partying all night. Um, and he said one of the things that was really interesting, he said they put a, a sign up at the castle entrance saying that it was closed because John Travolta was filming a movie there. Um, he said it was right after Greece had come out and then uh, a bunch of people went crazy trying to get into the castle because they thought John Travolta was there. So it was kind of a bad, a bad move on their part. <laughs> like, leave us alone. John Travolta's filming a movie here and everyone went wild and tried to get in. <laughs> of course, John Travolta <laughs> is uh, not was not filming a movie there. Um, so on this album, we've got pretty much the same lineup as we had on the previous album. Uh, we've got Neil Murray. uh Duck Dowell, as he's credited on this album. We've got Mickey Moody, Bernie Marsden, John Lord, and David Coverdale, of course. And in the technical end, who is producing it, but Martin P.C. Birch. I don't know what P.C. That's always credited on PC. this one. So I don't know what I don't think it means P.C. like the way we either. I don't think it means personal computer and I don't think it means politically correct because both of those would be a little, I think, was politically correct used back in the late seventies? I think that was like kind of a late. Uh, probably not. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm looking Let's up say, to see if we look it up. I should have asked Jorg. He, he would have known. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking it up right now. I can't. I can't find anything explaining why he might be. Um, why he might be called PC on this album, but we'll have to we'll have to just leave that there unless you find anything while I'm going through it. Well, I've seen uh, in, in Google Martin Bircher, uh, <laughs> PC certified public accountant. I see, I see that <laughs> I one, too. <laughs> I don't think that's it, but um, I guess we'll we'll find out. I don't think he was using a PC back then. Um, Bernie Marsden mm-hmm. says he, he felt kind of spoiled by having um, Martin Birch produced because he was just such a great uh great great producer um so it's really cool i mean just just the the fact of walking into uh the studio and being able to work with somebody of that caliber had to have been uh, something special um so uh he's um mickey moody says uh birch would always see the best qualities in everyone who's really great at bringing them out on the record and then uh, Neil Murray sa- uh, also sang Martin Birch's praises, saying that he was really laid back, but also didn't let any bad mistakes get by. So uh, obviously, I don't know. I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Martin Birch. He's always uh, always held in the highest, highest regard. So. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, so. Now we get on to let me get this, the album artwork. The kind Ooh, of the boy. first thing, <laughs> the first thing everyone thinks of when they think they think go. about Love Hunter, and there it is up on your screen. Um, if you're not familiar with this album art, I guess let me describe it. Um, we see a new. I think the most uh, most thing that jumps out at you the most is that bracelet that she's wearing. Um, no, it, the new font. There's a new logo for White Snake, which is just basically a giant like snake that's all twirled and twisted around into the head of a snake at the white that says white snake so that's the first time we're seeing that logo mm-hmm. on an album cover um and then oh yeah there's a naked woman straddling a snake 
Um, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> Um, which is a weird snake. It almost oh, yeah. looks, it's a snake that kind of looks like a basilisk. It's got horns and then it's got also like this forked tongue, which snakes have, but it's got like this weird like neck flap hanging down. Like it could inflate that or, or it's like that, that, um, mm-hmm. that dinosaur that, 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 uh, shoots out the poison at Newman in uh Jurassic park. Was it the <laughs> Newman? Yeah. The, um, the, was it the Velociraptor or was it the, no, it wasn't no, the they, they were like those the, uh, little. I know which one you're talking. Yeah, about. those like little ones, and then he thinks, "Oh, they're harmless," yeah. and then they shoot out that like acid and blind him, and then like all pounce on yeah. him and kill him inside of the jeep. Hope I didn't right, spoil right. Jurassic I Park for anybody. Can't but, remember. Um, Nate, you son of a bitch! I know what did I? I, I last week I spoiled um, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, or I spoiled spoiled the Bible last week. <laughs> Now I'm spoiling. No, I think I spoiled it. No, uh, well somebody spoiled it. I think I spoiled it. I think that was yeah. I, I did a big spoiler. I think you know. Uh, so I was like, oh man, I was going to read the Bible this weekend, and uh, they they screwed it up. But this, um, I don't know this if Judas was going to betray him. You. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there you've got this naked woman um, on this snake, very very obviously phallic and uh she's wearing like this like snake sort of i don't know would you call that a bracelet Bracelet. it's a bracelet that goes like from her wrist to her elbow that's all she's that's all she's wearing that's all she's wearing and she looks like she is very much enjoying riding the snake let's just say that i would i would say so the snake is, does not having a good time. The snake does not look like he is reciprocating that joy. He looks pissed. He looks like he's just going to like eat her head off or something. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a, he's like an <laughs> evil snake. Wouldn't it be great if the snake was like, ah, like he had this look of joy on his face. <laughs> he's like, ah, I'm, <laughs> I'm scoring with this dame. <laughs> Like if instead of instead of this, he was just kind of like he was like looking at you like, you know, or he's looking, winking at uh, you, like, looking directly at you, kind of like <sighs> like like Mr. Roper, you know, like <laughs> breaking the fourth <laughs> wall. <laughs> like he's looking at you like, ah, <laughs> like like Mr. Roper, Fozzie Bear, like, ah. <laughs> So this is and the woman looks exactly the same. Like he's like, Hey, check out this dame. <laughs> but, um, I gotta say it is very oh. well done artwork. Um, uh, really, really well done. The, the art direction for this was done by John Paskey, who I might be pronouncing wrong, wrong. He worked with the Rolling Stones and designed the famous like Rolling Stone lips logo. And he also worked with Fleetwood Mac mm. and a number of other bands. Uh, the logo was done by Jim Gibson, who worked by uh, Jethro Tull albums. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I haven't gone far enough ahead. I don't know if they used this logo ever again. But it looks. Uh, um, I don't think they did. I mean, they probably yeah, used it in know. promo and stuff for this album. But I don't remember ever seeing this logo other than on this album. Of course, I'm well, not. I mean, they they obviously dumped it and <clears throat> dumped it in the 80s. But yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. When they got um, when they got all serious, um, <clears throat> the illustration, this actual painting itself was done by Chris Achilleos. Um, so Chris Achilleos is a pretty well-known artist. He's got a website, which I'll put a link in the show notes. He did the illustration for Uriah Heep's Fallen Angel album and also heavy metal, the motion picture. 
Um, so it's very well. He he also did like a bunch of stuff for like Doctor Who, and he he's you know pretty well known like sci fi guy. Um, he so so here's a couple things. So interesting thing about Chris Achilles, he did this controversial cover, and it's kind of it's touted all around. Um, about the artwork for this album that a couple things one is after doing this artwork he refused to ever work with a band again and then number two is that the original artwork for this album was stolen and it was sold to a private collector so he doesn't have the artwork Mm. so i reached out to yorg and i was like yorg do you know anything more about this and he's and he said he said no i don't know anything more than that um so i'm figuring well if he doesn't know nobody knows right because He's York. And then I said, I wonder what happened. And he said, well, why don't you ask him? And he sent me the the website for this guy, which I had from researching the show. And I was like, oh, yeah, good, good idea. So I shot him an email and I told him about, you know, who we were and everything. And then I said, "Um, I have to ask you, um, I'm, I'm fascinated about the art being stolen. Could you tell could you tell me was the art stolen? And then I said, did you have a policy of not working with the bands? And he wrote back and said, um, true and not true. (laughs) So I was like, okay. So I I said, could you get me some more information about the theft? And then he said, and then unfortunately I was out, um, out of town and this early this morning, he wrote back and he said, Hi, Nate, call me on. And he gives his phone number and he says, and I will tell you the truth. (laughs) And I said, oh, man. So but by the time I got this, I mean, I think he's in the UK. So it probably would have been around midnight by the time I got this email. So I emailed him back. I shot Mm. him my phone number and I didn't hear anything back from him. So um, if he Mm. does uh, call or if I'm able to talk to him like tomorrow morning or something, maybe what I'll do is I will edit in a little segment right now. I did reach Chris. Uh, we spoke for a brief time. Um, he also sent me kind of an email statement prior to our chat. So it was very interesting talking to him, but he was a little reluctant to talk about it based on his experience losing this uh, painting. So did get a lot more information about what happened and understand now a lot why he was reluctant to talk to anybody. Um, he sent me a little preliminary drawing, a part of the preliminary drawing for the artwork, which I'll put in the show notes. And what I'll also put in the show notes is uh, deeppurplepodcast.com is Chris's email address. And if you are interested in uh, purchasing the preliminary drawings for this, uh, Chris is in is in the market to sell. So uh, give him uh, give him a contact and, and let him know. But here's what Chris said. He says, I am quite reluctant to talk about this artwork to strangers. I have been stung before in the past and don't want it to happen again. I just want you to know that the painting was taken from me in good faith by someone I came to trust as a friend from L.A. in the 80s, together with six other important paintings, and then just disappeared on me. The White Snake artwork was listed to be auctioned in the 90s by someone, but I put a stop to it when I heard about it. The painting was never returned to me by the New York Auction Company, in spite of me asking for, uh, many times for its return. They claim that it's somewhere in their building, but they cannot find it. If somebody has claimed that they have it, then they have got it by they have got it by not legal means. The rest of the paintings turned up in New York. Somebody bought them for nothing from a street market, but refuses to deal with me. The world is full of bastards. I still do have my preliminary master drawing for it. If you know of anyone who might be interested in it, attached. Regards, Chris. And I'll put that um, picture in the show notes. So 
Very interesting story. Um, turns out there's really not uh, – there, there was a partial uh, truth to it uh, from, from what Chris is saying. Um, whether or not it was sold, uh, a private seller, any of that, that probably comes from maybe the auction uh, – being listed. But according to Chris, if you have this painting, uh, you do not have it legally. So um, please, uh, if you want to support Chris and you're interested in owning the original preliminary drawings, which I am, I just don't know that I'm in the uh, the price bracket for it. Um, reach out to him and uh, I'm sure he would like to sell it to a, a to a, a good collector. So that's it. And here we go back to the show. So anyway, that's the um, that's the album art. Obviously, really, you know, check out his website if you want to mm. see more. He's really talented. And then the photography on the back part of the album, which we can I can talk right now, it's kind of photographs of the six band members. Pretty standard. You got that White Snake logo again. The six band members with Coverdale, obviously front, top, and center, and then the side one, side two track listing, talking about the, how this was recorded at Clearwell Castle, um, which is uh, where they. Isn't Clearwell where they did burn? I think it was Clearwell where they did burn. Um, so, um, yeah, many, many thanks to uh, to doctors, Whiteson, Goodwin, and Yip. Say no more. <laughs> I love, they always put all these like inside jokes. Say no more. It's like, uh, we don't know what you're talking about. Um, so some pretty cool stuff there. Um, so obviously uh, they talk about the cover. This cover co- caused some controversy, obviously, when it came out. But interestingly, Marsden says um, that he doesn't remember there being much pushback on this cover. He says the next cover, the Come and Get It cover, which we'll talk about when we cover that album, got a lo- had a lot more problems and had to have an alternate cover in America. This cover was fine, though. So. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, Let's just say the snake's mouth in uh, on the Come and Get It album cover, the original illustration uh-huh. uh, resembled a part of the female anatomy um, that you just can't uh, discuss in America because everyone's a bunch of weird prudes. Um, so, so, so hmm. funny, mm-hmm. a snake with like, and obviously, like, honestly, I've seen that cover a million times. It never occurred to me in a million years that that was in any way representative of anything, but obviously it was done on purpose. Um, and then yet this album cover is like totally fine. Nothing, no problem with this. <laughs> like if a kid, if my kids <laughs> saw this album cover, I feel like I'd have a lot more to explain than if they saw the come and get it album cover where they'd be like, Oh, it's a snake and an apple next. Like they, they wouldn't have any questions at all. Um, so <laughs> yeah, this one's a lot more. Graphic, yes. Um, but Definitely, as opposed to some other album covers that we've seen recently, this one, I can imagine, would have drawn in a lot of people for a couple of reasons. Is Number one, the one that you said before was is that it obviously got a lot of attention, mm-hmm. very controversial. But number two, it's incredibly yeah, well Yeah, it looks done. great. Um, like, we, we, yeah, because, I mean, this, this album cover, like, uh, it could be very easy to like write it off if you looked at it or um, like the, like the cassette version, for instance, when I've seen it for years to me, it looked at first kind of like a cheesy album cover, like definitely like, was it like cropped or something on the cassette? I can't remember. Maybe. Um, But I mean, it, it definitely grabs your attention either way. But I mean, when you look at the artwork, how well it's done, um, like everything from like the, the detail on the snake to even like the, the way that the 
the the woman is illustrated and like the like the shadowing and everything like uh, just to look at it from an artistic point of view is like it's really one of the best album covers that I've seen in a while like um I would definitely like if we're rating album covers I give this like high ratings just for like how like um artistically good it is like um, it's shockingly good especially when you look at it like in such detail and like even down to the colors like the the uh the black the purple and white um i don't know it just it all goes together it's it's really one of their best album covers i think yeah um yeah like if you uh, you, uh, upon first seeing it you're just it's uh, it's almost it's so like audacious that you're just oh my god and then when you actually stop and look at it you're like wow this is actually very well done um yeah when you break it down and look at it that way but um you know you're just like wow this is really well done but i mean at the same time if you want to think of like the godfather of (laughs) salacious album covers like the the type of stuff that most 80s misogynistic uh, uh type of sensational album covers would be based on like i i think you would think of this one first you know this one is this one's pretty wild i i can't think of many others that would beat this one in in being like really um you know graphic but i don't know in a way artistic like yeah, I think, you know what i mean i think it can get away with being artistic and not it's not like I've seen some, you know, there's obviously a lot of other metal covers where <laughs> they're not quite as artistic, but very, you know, just just profane for the for the sake of being, you know, scandalous or whatever. But yeah. Um, so anyway, that's it. Yeah. When this came out in Argentina, they did a little quick little um, they put a little thing on on her bum, like a little like, I don't know what you call <laughs> like a little gold <laughs> bikini almost, um, which very, yeah. uh, very slight change to the album cover but um it's one of those things where it's like really a butt crack is <laughs> that's what pushes this over the edge it's still just as graphic <laughs> they didn't do a very good job either it doesn't like match like the the bracelet she's wearing or anything um but it looks like somebody took like a thing of like mustard and just went like it does it looks like the color of mustard <laughs> like let's make her a bikini <laughs> bottom out of mustard that'll fix everything like somebody grabbed a squirt bottle of mustard was like <laughs> <laughs> and then um one of my there you go and that thing that says heavy metal on yeah, the heavy tail metal it's like a like steak. a like a guy holding a like a, a sword um and then one of my um oh, my favorite God. pictures associated with this album cover is this picture of david coverdale holding up the album cover and then covering up the woman's backside with his hand like <laughs> he's like oh we must be modest my love Mm, behave <laughs> so pretty interesting um i was doing a little search on this album and uh, i came up with this which is worth mentioning um and i'll put a link in the show, show notes to this tweet so somebody was staying at a, a bed and breakfast and in ireland and they tweeted this it said um i walked into the room at a charming bed and breakfast in ireland and then things got metal so this is the one wall and this is the opposite wall in which they painted the <laughs> <laughs> they painted the entire album cover pretty well too. They did a really good job of recreating it um, on the wall. Actually, of this room. yeah. So can you imagine going into a bed and breakfast and you walk in the door and you see you see that first picture and then you like turn around to like you can see they turn around they drop their bag on the bed and, and this is what they're looking at. <laughs> 
a very very faithful recreation. That now. is wild. Um, and um, that's wild though. You don't see that every day. And somebody retweeted this, and David Coverdale responded. Uh, somebody tagged David Coverdale in it, and he was, I think, happy with the. <laughs> where, where is it? I think it's. Um, try find find his his response. What did he say? David Coverdale said, "Brilliant." <laughs> That's a couple, a few years ago that he responded to it, but it's kind of funny. So, oh, of course, he did. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the that's oh, the that's... that's the album art. There's obviously a lot to cover and go over there, but um, all right. But before we get into the album, of course, we have to thank our next batch of patrons, the core level patrons, the ones that really round out the middle here and keep keep that uh. Keep the, that support for the show alive. And coming in at the $6.66 tier, we have Richard Fusey. At the $5.99 nice price tier, we have Fielding Fowler. At the $5 money lender tier, we have Greg Sealby, John Convery, Arthur Smith, Adrian Hernandez, Kenny Wymore, Jesper Alman, Oleksii the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, and Kev Roberts. And at the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, Peter Gardot, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Anton Glaving, Will Porter, Andrew Meyer, Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, and Dr. Jill Brees. Thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right. And you know what that means. We've thanked our second group of donors and patrons that means it's time to get into the album. John, are you ready to crank up the volume and listen to Love Hunter? Wrap the wrap the snake tail around that <laughs> volume knob and rip it off. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but I don't know. No, if I, 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 I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. I was hoping something good would come out. But, yeah. <laughs> Hey, better luck next time. <laughs> All right, track one, Long Way From Home. What has happened? Okay, this is, <laughs> this is aggravating. The, the album art got all screwy. Why oh. did that, why did that happen? That happened, that, that's happened a couple episodes now where it just like, it's like, no, we don't like the album art. We like the, um. We're going to like go get some other art for some reason. All right, let's try that again. It was also a little, it was also a little loud. A little loud. Okay, I'll turn it down. Yeah, just like a notch or two so I can okay. hear you. Unfortunately, better. the snake ripped off the volume knob. So, all right, here we go. Long way from home. Whoops. There we go. That thumping bass. Whoa. Oh, Coverdale. Sounds dirtier than it is. Must be Marsden on backing vocals. Probably. 
I like this for I like this open in the album. They just get right into it. Yeah, there's it. no like lead up. It just like starts off with the full band and the vocals like almost right away. I really like this song though. Really melodic. Get some nice John Lord in the background. Like everything's mixed really well. Very prominent bass, as you mentioned. Well, no pace on this album. Uh, but they said, I guess that you know, when Pace joined this album, like right after they'd finished recording and or joined the band rather, and they wanted to like re-record his drums over the over the drums, kind of like they'd done with John Lord on the previous album. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think the record company was like, no, we're not paying to have you do that. Just use the drums that you have. I don't know how you would do that with drums too. I I feel like it would stick out. Like it's such it's so critical to keep in the groove, yeah. you know. It's like John Lord's most like 80s sounding keyboards yet. Even after having listened to Perfect Strangers, <laughs> which is actually in the 80s. Great solo. Yeah. Yeah, just really straight ahead. To that bass. Yeah, Neil Murray's just going crazy. There he goes, I'll drink you dry again. Sounds dirty, but I can't figure out why. Um, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice little part there. I mean, interesting, like Beatles-esque sort of sort of ending with like just all the instruments kind of going off like that. Um, Hmm. It's interesting. They said that uh, 
Foreigner had had a kit in 1977 called Long, Long Way From Home. So even though he says Long, Long Way From Home, they changed the name of the song to Long Way From Home to avoid confusion. But I'm sure it didn't help too much. (laughs) She had them both on a jukebox or whatever. Uh, But this was the first single released on the album. Uh, And the B-side was Walking in the Shadow of the Blues. All right. So what do you think of Long Way From Home? Can't get the can't get the worksheet. Um I see you're in the worksheet, but it's not the worksheet isn't working for you. As usual. Just getting all sorts of problems. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um 3.5 right. on this one. Um yep, there it is. Yeah, I think it's um it's a it's a great opening song. It's not right out of the gate straight rocker like um um uh some of the recent ones we had like um what was the 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 gillen album um had one of those oh uh uh second um, sight no that, well yeah. that wasn't well that wasn't the first track oh no, well, the, well the first track the uh uh secret of the dance but yeah second yeah, sight secret was like the, the instrumental or, and then, yeah Right, sorry. Yeah, see, yeah, Secret of the Dance or um, Death Alley Driver. Death Alley Driver. Yeah. yeah, just to name a few recent ones. It's not a, it's not like a rip roar and rocker like that. It's like one of Coverdale's uh, uh, kind of melodic uh, songs, and I really like it. I like the way that it was mixed. Like uh, nothing was really too prom. Well, the the bass was pretty prominent, mm. but that's a good thing. But um, I like the way everything was just kind of mixed together. It was almost Kind of um, almost kind of poppy. Yeah. A little bit. That little acapella bit right at the very Um, end was really kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really raw or um, too strong about it, but uh, just really a good, you know, well arranged uh, melodic song. I could see this being like the first single. Um, Yeah. So really good. I enjoyed. And a great solo, too. Solo was like really well composed. It was just like. It must have been Marsden. I know I liked it. I think it's usually Marsden unless it's a slide, but I could be wrong. Um, um, okay, so but, yeah. I will give this one a four. I really like it. I think it's a solid opener. Um, it's it's mellow. It's like it's low. It's it's kind of low tempo and kind of mellow, but also yeah, mellow. kind of rocks. And it's it's just got that that groove of the early White Snake that I really like. Um, that's really good. I, I mean, I'm be interested in going into the pace era a little bit more with the next couple albums, on uh, seeing how that kind of changes the overall mm-hmm. groove. But I, I really like like um, Dave Dowell's playing. He's really uh, got kind of almost like a little funkiness to him. So, all right, that brings us to track number two on this side: "Walking in the Shadow of the Blues." A chugging guitar and organ here. Yeah, I really like this song. It's a good opening. It's building some tension. That's great. I love the blues. 
just love that. I love the blues. Just coming out with it like that. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he's telling a story. I could hear this in like Mark IV Purple. Yeah. And you, you get some, some classic John Lord. Some great howling organ in there. there, yeah. Yeah, it's just great dynamics in the song too. The the starts and stops. Yeah, like the black sheep of the family, guilty in my heart. Just like classic cover tale blues lyrics. Anybody else doing it, you'd think like, oh man, this is cheesy, but he can get away with it. Yeah, he always makes it work. Sounds like Neil Murray hit a chord there in the bass and let it ring out. Another great solo. I'm just going to assume this is this was written by Coverdale Marsden. So I'm just going to assume that's a Marsden solo. A lot of great dynamics at the end, too. crazy there on that scream crank up the reverb a little bit on his vocal at the end. Pretty rocking yeah, song. Dissonant organ toward the end. Yep. Yeah, there are a couple of a uh, couple little touches in there that are kind of dynamic, uh different dynamic than just a straight ahead blues song. 
which is what makes early White Snake so interesting. And so it makes a lot of like Coverdale stuff, even the stuff he did with Deep Purple, like songs that should have been just kind of throwaway blues songs end up really shining because of the little touches that they put on them. Mm-hmm. All right, what say you about Walking in the Shadow of the Blues? Oh, walking in the Shadow is, uh, is a four for me. Walking uh, in the Shadow of the Fours. I, I love the... <laughs> I love the... Um, that, that he wrote a... Uh, Coverdale wrote a song, like a autobiography type of song about the blues that really kind of, um, I don't know, almost like a, like a cliche, not like a cliche, but it's, I guess now would be a cliche, but I feel it's like, um, kind of a, like a classic style of like, this is my autobiographical blues song, but updated for the like 1979 white snake. He, he tells his, he tells a story of the, you know, the, the black sheep who, leaves home to be a blues man um, mm-hmm. type story. And um, I, I think it's, I, I don't know. I just think it's really cool because I mean, that's, you know, something that in later white snake has just kind of went away. Um, and uh, like I said, some of the musical touches like the, the dissonant organ at the end and like mm-hmm. the, the way that he comes up like this great blues solo, which I mean, having a song about the blues and having like a great, bluesy solo is imperative <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't have yes. a song about the blues and have a shitty blues solo <laughs> or have somebody um, finger tapping solo was <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, about, like sweep arpeggios and yeah but even at the end of the solo like uh just kind of these um sounded almost like you know little volume swells like uh just this kind of you know different dynamic that is just little touches of that that just make it really good and interesting. So, um, yeah, overall great, great song. I will also give walking in the shadow of the blues, a four. I think it's a great one. Great, great rocker captures that early white snake, uh, feeling that we love so much. And, uh, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't think of anything else to add that you didn't already, uh, throw in there. So, all right, here we go. Next track up. Help me throw the day through. Well, I guess through the day, right? Throw the day through the day. <laughs> Gotta be through the day. <laughs> Get some nice uh, John Lord laying that nice foundation in the mm. background. I have to say that I am really happy with how John Lord is featured in the mix so far. Yeah, he's he's not hidden away, right? And like like a lot of early White Snake or any White Snake with John Lord, he's not he doesn't get a ton of time in the spotlight. But he does create that atmosphere and he's getting a little bit more love in the mix. And Martin Birch just, I mean, God, guy makes every album sound better. So 
And this is, uh, it's worth mentioning, this is a cover of a Leon Russell song. They're trying to go for kind of that Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City magic yeah. that they had previously. Yeah. I, I think they're doing it. It's a great version of it. Mars did throw in some great little blues licks there. I really like about this song too is the the whole album so far is the production is everybody is represented you can hear all the different instruments nobody's buried yep you 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 want to focus on the guitar you want to hear a little bass you want to hear the John Lord and keyboards it's like it's all it's all like right in the same place in the mix. So you're not struggling to hear anybody. And it's just really does the song justice. And Coverdale is singing great on this. It's almost like he's got his, his blues crooner voice out. I mean, I think if if they're trying to capture that same magic that they had on Ain't No Love, I think they got it. I would even argue that it's it's a better song than that. Better version, better cover. At least I'm enjoying it a lot more. John Lord just really shining in this song. It really adds a lot. And I believe this was um, this song was also done by Bobby Bland, who did Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. So they even went to the same, even though he didn't write it, kind of went to the same well there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can tell it's the same, same uh, style of uh, yep. song. So what say you about Help Me Through the Day? Uh, I really, really enjoyed it, as you can tell. So that's a 4.5 for me. All right. Um, I think I pretty much said it while we were listening to the song. I think it's, um, if, you, if you're going to pick like that Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City 
type of vibe. I, I really like I like this one better. I think it's yeah, great. I can um just it just captured a mood. I actually like it's one of those songs where I, I was like, oh, I remember like kind of thinking like mm, you know, like average, but I enjoyed it a lot more than I remembered. Great, great version of this. I will also give this a 4.5. I really like it. I think, I don't know, it's hard for me to say if, well, I think I rated Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City a little higher. Um, but yeah, I, I mm-hmm. can't say, I mean, this has got, to me, they captured that same vibe really, really well. And just a great performance. Great bluesy solos from, I assume, Mars. It must be Marsden because he's such a bluesy guy. And John Lord laying it down. I think they just nailed it. Um, Want to hear a little mm-hmm. bit of the... Uh, Bobby Bland version of the song. Let's compare Definitely. it. I remember I'm comparing pretty favorably last time, so let's let's take a listen. So, bit of a different feel, same obvious chord structure, but one thing's for sure, I got to get me some Bobby Bland records. This guy's awesome. And that is a blues voice if I've ever heard one. Oh, Holy yeah. crap. The perfect blues voice. So this is the original version. Well, right? I mean, Leon Russell wrote it. Um, But this may have been one of the first recorded versions. I couldn't find a Leon Russell version. Maybe I'm just missing something, but maybe one of our... What year was this? 70, ooh, good question. 73 or something? Uh, just, just trying to figure out how many years after the this version. Yeah, so like came six years later, five or six years later, mm. when they would have recorded it. Yeah, so that gives you a little bit of an idea. Obviously, uh, they did a pretty good, uh, and I think yeah. White Snake was always so good with their covers at making them faithful but really making them their own as well it's a fine line to to balance but they did a great job yeah they weren't just copying that that vibe like they were definitely um a blues band but at that time uh like i said earlier an updated uh, blues band um uh, obviously a lot uh slicker production but not slick in the sense of it stripped out no. the soul. We, we we get into that later, um, <laughs> later in the later into the eighties <laughs> with every band, basically. Mm. Um, all right. Uh, next track up is track four on the first side of this album, and that track is called "Medicine Man." <laughs> Very God of Thunder. Oh yeah, right. Was God did God of Thunder come before this? Yes. Those keyboards are perfect. Yeah.
This is a Coverdale solo composition. Hmm. <laughs> I like how they are really going for the for the whole like classic blues thing. Like we're a blues band, calling calling it having a song "Medicine Man." Oh, yeah. I mean, that's you can't really get bluesier yeah, than that. Like he's definitely going for a vibe on this album. Marsden's backing vocals really give these songs a lot of like this and Long Way From Home in particular really give it a little spice yeah I always like it better when you have like other vocalists like when they don't double themselves you mean yeah yeah when there are other vocalists doing background vocals so it's a little more interesting rather than if Coverdale did all his own backing vocals and it would just be like all the same cool lead into a solo there. Oh, great solo. All the solos on this album have been phenomenal so far. Yeah. That part almost sounds oh. like Zappa. <laughs> not not an influence I usually associate with White Snake. But I mean, that's also like this is the kind of guitar playing that I really connect yeah. with. Um, like not just like the 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 style of guitar playing, but the the um. Uh, you know, the phrasing, the way that it's produced, like the effects that he has on it, his guitar, like the sound he gets it's, from his it's guitar. It's really ballsy playing, too, and really like. Yeah. It's. it's yeah, it's, it's, it's like vigorous my and like quick, but not like shreddy. Yeah. Yeah, just, just really energetic and aggressive, like bluesy rock guitar playing. And I don't know exactly what Lord's using. It sounds like some sort of clavichord with like a, almost like a flanger or something on it. It's like playing really low on the bass notes. It's like just probably a note in the octave. Damn. There's a lot of good stuff in there. A lot of really good stuff. And when you hear that, just medicine, man, you're like, okay, how did that not close out the side of the album like um, we're gonna have to get into the next track yeah, really? I, I don't you know I, I, all these songs are striking a chord with me but i like like i said it's been a while since i listened to it so i'm trying to think of how, what they could do to end the album better than medicine man that's pretty uh pretty good um yeah well, what do you what are you thinking for a ranking for medicine man you know what i i gotta go with the four for this one. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm listening to a lot of these songs more than I have before. And I'm just like noticing like so much cool stuff. Like, first of all, they, 
despite the God of Thunder S yeah. opening, which I mean, let's face it. I mean, that's, that's just based on a, a blue scale that anybody could. Play. Right. Yeah. I wonder, how so, I wonder if Coverdale would have been listening to any kiss, <laughs> but it's still like the, the guitar sound was really, really mm-hmm. ballsy in this song. And, um, there are a couple of great things in here. Number one is that like the solo, which I already talked about was like, again, my favorite type of guitar playing. Like, I mean, this is like, there's nothing groundbreaking. Uh, he's not doing anything. He's not reinventing the wheel. He's just like running with doing um, rock blues guitar, like as best he can. It really resonates with me. Like every, everything about these solos are like my favorite things mm-hmm. about rock guitar. And there are a couple little things in there, like when they come out of the solo and they they kind of do that, you know, it's just really cool when a whole band does that. It's like that that kind of separates just kind of a, an average song or just being lazy with like, OK, they they definitely worked that out and like practiced it and like made it a thing like they they all had to they had to figure that out. I mean, not terribly complicated, but like definitely like a cool little touch to throw in there um kind of like the um uh, kind of like the beginning of strange kind mm-hmm. of woman you know where the they where richie and and uh pace just like you know they do the same thing it's just like you can't you know you don't just like oh yeah we just made that up it's, like yeah you, everyone playing you know, in unison you, you kinda, it's pretty cool yeah exactly i love that stuff i love that stuff it's just like you you know you got to plan it out you got to have you have to be in um you know, everybody's got to be in sync. So, um, yeah, it, uh, just a couple little things just elevate that song. And and again, Coverdale running with the whole uh, kind of blues theme on this album. Um, I think he's, they're just all really nailing. Mm-hmm. I will give this one a 4.5. Really, really liked it. Um, thought it was really strong. I thought the guitar solos were awesome. I loved that little unison run like that you just talked about. And I think I, li- I liked the backing vocals like we touched on a little bit. And I think that's some of the character mm, of the early yeah. White Snake. Like you think of other bands that have that. What other bands have like really distinctive backing vocals like Van Halen, you know, that sound of David Lee Roth and Michael Anthony mm-hmm. or Sammy Hagar and Mark- Michael Anthony singing at the same time. Just like you hear that and instantly, you know, oh, this is a Van Halen song. Um, Beatles. Uh, who-, who else really does that? that well i'm trying to think like who has like a really distinctive uh deep purple mark three and four you know with with coverdale and hughes just you hear you hear the two of those guys singing together and you know instantly what you're listening to um right it's uh it's really cool and that marsden and coverdale uh pair up it just sounds awesome um Mm -hmm. okay so we should probably close outside one of this album who should close this out why don't you and me close this out, John, with the song You and Me. Almost Tommy Bolin-esque there. <laughs> we slid in. Yeah. Now this could have been on Come Taste the Band. <laughs> With that piano, too. It sounds like coming home almost. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you're right. Mickey Moody is taking a pa- taking a page out of Bolin's book. Yeah, really. Would have been really interesting to hear him on this. So this song was first written for Bernie Marsden's solo album and About Time 2. And then Coverdale suggested they do it with this band. So it first appeared on Marsden's hmm. solo album. I love how they throw in, he, he always throws in like these interesting little bridges in his yep. song, in his songs. And again, we heard the, the background vocals that we were just talking about. That almost sounds like a Who song now. <laughs> wow, yeah. All right. Now this is a Mick Moody solo. It's got to be. <laughs> this sounds like something off one of the first two Coverdale solo albums for sure. Oh, yeah. Like Rosie's Place or something. Is that the song that sounds kind of like this? Maybe. Yeah. just has some really great interesting bass line going on here Just boom. Just pretty ended. solid. I mean, Medicine Man was a pretty good ending, but that was pretty, uh, pretty solid ending as well. Ah, you and me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the uh, kind of. What do you and me rate you and me? What do you think Nate? you and me should rate it? You first. Then me. Well, we'll go with you. Who is you? Who is me? You is me. Yes. You. And then me. Who, when you're talking, is you. Yes. This is like a Mel Bro- bad <laughs> Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> 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 all right what do you think um yeah so um i'll give this one a 3.5 um i mean of course i'm i'm singing the praises of this song um i, I think that it's a really strong um uh kind of honky tonk type i love like the the kind of honky tonk white snake oh um, yeah vibe. now that you mentioned it, it almost sounds and, like it uh, could be on an elf album <laughs> Like it sounds like, you know, if, yeah. you, if it had a little bit more f- f- uh, prominent, like piano, it it definitely has that same vibe. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it really the the uh, guitar solo really kind of you know called back to the first two Coverdale solo albums. It definitely gave me those vibes. Um, I thought it was really interesting. They had the kind of like uh, you definitely that who dynamic in there. Yeah. 
Um, just weird. I, I, like I wouldn't I even said, pick I up really on that like I don't how, know anything about the Who. <laughs> no, well, all I know is is when you when you go dun 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 the jump stuff oh, going. It's the Who. Exactly. It's like the only thing I know about the Who. You know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And that and like, you know, the guitar guy like swings his arm. Yeah, around. with the windmill um, sort of thing. The guitar yeah. guy. <laughs> but um we're gonna get in trouble for that. I'm gonna pretend like I don't know his name. <laughs> so from many now people on. are gonna be like I'm gonna pretend I don't know his name. You know, uh, <laughs> that the, the the who guitar guy. <laughs> like these idiots think that they're classic rock fans. I should edit that out just for know, just to just to get rich uh upset. He'd be like, that guitar guy, he'd be all <laughs> pissed off at us. What do you mean? <laughs> He's- I know his name is Pet Townsend. Um, I know that. I mean, everyone knows (laughs) Pet Townsend. (laughs) All right. So. Uh, Well played, Nate. You and me. Um, So anyways, yeah. Yeah. Good, good song. Um, I I think just a good solid song doesn't not doesn't elevate for me the way the other ones did. Um, I think because there are a lot of familiar elements in it. um, It's um, it's just good, not great but still strong overall. I like a lot of things about it. Everything on this album is really impressing me so far. Yeah. Um, man, I'm really struggling, but I feel like I have to go with my gut and give it a four. I, um, mm-hmm. there's something about like, we're seeing like, like I've, I've seen it a lot with white snake so far in our, in our going through the early catalog. And I'm seeing it again where, I think on its surface, it should be a 3.5. And I think it could easily be a three if if it was at all. I think it, this song has the potential to be a filler. It has the potential to be phoned in, but they just don't do it. They don't treat it like filler. They don't phone it in. They're not like, oh, let's just put down mm-hmm. the tracks. They just give it everything that they've got. It, it sounds like it's like they're just it's like they're good marketing guys and they're just selling it. They're taking a three and bumping it up to a four just by putting so much like heart and passion into it. And, you know, even though I, I think like the base material is it's good. It's a decent, good song, but it's not like a song that I think anyone else could just do a cover. Like, I don't think any band could do a cover of the song and be like, and make it better. Like, it, like just them in this moment right mm-hmm. here, performing the song with all everything they put into it, just nailed it. And to a, to a degree that I think it could easily be a three if it was done by anybody else or done, just to go through the motion. So whether that's Martin Birch, his production, his pushing them for a better performance, just the, the overall band gelling or all that stuff put together, whatever it is, I, I have a really hard time going lower than a four on it just because I think they really, they're selling it. They're selling me on it. It's, it's, mm-hmm. they sound great. They sound great together. Backing vocals, the solos, just everything. They're just, they're just, I feel like they're really gelling and, talk about this long progression between Coverdale solo going into early white snake. And before that, you know, they're still haven't even gotten to the Ian pace era and they're really just starting to figure it out and bang on all cylinders. And, and even before they were in this realm, they were still putting out awesome music, but I feel like they're just starting to really pick it mm-hmm. up. It's like making me so excited. I almost want to do come and get it next week. Cause it's just, um, cause they're just sounding so good, you know? So that, I'm, so I'm giving it a four. Mm-hmm. Close out the side. All right, you know one funny thing is looking 
behind me at this album cover. It just, you know, and then thinking about the songs that we've just listened to, it it, it doesn't it doesn't really fit. Does, you know what I mean? Like, I think you're it just looks like such a heavy metal sort of thing. And and Whitesnake, you know, eventually gets lumped, lumped into that category later on. But they never were really heavy metal. I mean, it's at some point in like the late 80s, they kind of touched on it, maybe in the, you know, in the Steve Vai sort of era. they they had some some of the elements, but they've always been like a rock and blues band. And mm-hmm. this first yeah. side just does not look like it should be attached with that album cover. It just. Yeah, looks like something else entirely. But yeah, I um, I don't know, but just knowing White Snake and the type of covers that they were doing and where the band was going. It's, it's not, uh, it fits in now. It's surprising. Uh, it's not surprising, but I guess if you really, if you think about it, like you just did, it's like, yeah, you look at that cover and you hear the music and you're like, eh. Yeah. Not, not what I'm, not what I'm expecting <laughs> no. to hear from that, from, from, from that album cover. But anyway, right. let's flip it over. Let's see if the, if there's any sort of like harmonized guitar leads, like a la uh iron maiden on this second side here as we open it up with mean business i love that love that driving beat it's funny because produced different and played different this could be like a heavy metal song but it's that very like Coverdale and kind of bluesy. Th- this song was actually written by all uh, five of them, or six of them, I should say. Lords like keyboards in the background there. Yeah, this is this is like the first real rocker on the album, I think. This is almost sounding like Iron Maiden now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not surprising since um, Martin Birch produced them. Nice. Classic John Lord two-part solo. First part organ, second part cool composed synth thing. 
an awesome uh, instrumental uh, solo interlude there. I love that if you don't mean business and then he calls it mean, mean business, you know, it's like kind of using both meanings of the yeah. word. Yeah, very clever. Over here, Lord in the background kind of doing that. Like, like the kind of thing where you kind of, I don't know what he's doing, but he kind of cranks up the intensity like nice. like on like Rat Bat Blue or something nice. where you like yeah but um, Bernie Marsden says that this is the only time he and Coverdale had a disagreement in the studio in the early days. Bernie thought the song was too heavy metal. Funny because we were just talking about hmm. that. He didn't think it's how the band should be sounding and he says over the years he's realized that David was right. And then Bertie Marsden also says he thinks this is the heaviest Whitesnake song up until the 1987 album. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. What do you think about mean business? I'm going to get down to some mean business and rate this one 3.5. All right. And I'll tell okay. you why. I like the song. Definitely a heavy driving beat. Really enjoy it. I really like the uh, the the Iron Maiden esque solo, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was very interesting. Again, another really kind of interesting kind of twist that they take. What I don't like, which I think has been a problem so far in White Snake albums, is that it's just like there's no other way to say it. But I feel like John Lord's solo was like neutered. It just it wasn't. It didn't get all the way there for me. Like. It it just it sounded like really in the yeah. background. Like we knew what he was doing. The first, you know, the organ solo and then like the 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 composed like synth, you know, Stormbringer-esque type of ending. It just it didn't land. It's 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 almost like I don't know, they've it's it sounded like know, it just didn't like, have like the punch to it, you know, like like it's it's like you said, it's there, the playing is good, the composition on the second part is awesome. Yeah. But yeah. You're hearing like the bass and the drums and everything kind of on the same level and it doesn't it doesn't stick out it would almost be like if they brought the vocals down to that level it would just it, 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 maybe it's part of how it was eq'd or maybe it was just mixed too low it just didn't have the john lord but it's it's martin birch so you know he knows how to <laughs> if anyone knows how to how to record john lord it's him so i don't know maybe it's just in the mix maybe it was just mixed low uh, i'm just wondering how like on these albums, if that was just a decision by uh, the band or Coverdale, like they just didn't want it to be as organ heavy because, I mean, you've heard all this type of stuff on all the previous Deep Purple albums. We know that he can play. We know that these guys work together and he, he knows how to produce John Lord. So I just don't understand why these solos just sound so weak, for lack of a better word. Um, and weak not being that John Lord's playing is weak. I just don't, 
it didn't sound like they used the best take or it wasn't EQ'd the best, or it's like, it just, you know, it, it didn't match up with the rest of the song. And it's just so disappointing because it's I'm wondering, like, just haven't heard like a rip roaring Lord. So I am yet. playing this off of the box of snakes. Um, the two, 2011 release. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if I grabbed my CD over there from who knows when the heck that came out, probably late eighties, early nineties. If, if, if that part would be different, maybe after the show, I'll listen to it and see. Um, usually I just mm. rip it off my CD directly. Cause I want to get it as close to the original as possible. I don't like listening to like remixes, but I don't know. Maybe somebody could probably, I'm sure Jorg could tell us. I don't know if box of snakes was remastered or remixed remastered. I can, I usually am more favorable to, towards doing, because uh, they clean it up, they EQ it, they make they compress it a little more or whatever. But the re- remixes, I generally try to stay away from on the show, because as you listening probably know, we always like to try to go for the original version as much as we can. So um, that 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 could be it. But uh, but we have heard it in other versions that we've listened to before too, where John Lord in White Snake just doesn't seem to get. And you know, we even heard it in Perfect Strangers recently, where you know he, he's featured but maybe not as he kind of takes a back seat to the rest of the album or, or the rest of the musicians i mean that's yeah that's just how mm-hmm. it feels and that that's not to say that he doesn't um contribute but it's it's just um i mean obviously he's other you know good in other areas of the album but um it's it's just like i'm i'm craving that john lord solo john lord letting loose and that's just one thing that white snake doesn't really with him doesn't give all the time so i know it went off on a tangent on an otherwise great song i mean it's um it just was like um kind of a eh solo from him um i will also go to 3.5 i think the performances are great but yeah the the Mm -hmm. mix on that one's a little little weird to me but it's really really solid song um Mm -hmm. Next up, we have the track Love Hunter, and in classic White Snake form, Love Hunter is two words, even though the album title is one word. Um, they just love doing that. Um, one, two words, one word, Blind Men, uh, White Snake versus White Snake. It's just, it's like a Coverdale tradition that we celebrate here on the show. I don't know. I don't understand. It. I don't know. I don't understand. It kind of drives me crazy from like a consistency standpoint, but it's just, um, it is what it is. Martin Popoff says uh, of this track in his book, uh, in the sail away book, he says, um, it has a bit of a kiss vibe down to the, down the Gene Simmons side of stage. So we'll let John be the judge of that as the resident kiss expert. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Marsden says he wrote the riff and the verse. Moody wrote the side, uh, the slide parts, mm. and Marsden wrote some of the lyrics. Um, but David went off and came back with better lyrics, so they uh, they used those lyrics instead. So here we go, the next track on the second side, and the album title "Love Hunter." Treat me good 
And there's John Lord in the background with that clav again. Which I love the sound of yeah. it. You trying to imagine Gene Simmons singing it now? <laughs> well, I get more of a Led Zeppelin like trampled underfoot vibe oh, from yeah. this part. That's a good call. So, I mean, I guess the first of many Coverdale slash Led Zeppelin comparisons that we'll hear. <laughs> that that pre- prevail to the current day. Mm. But that's more musical, not how Coverdale quote unquote sounds like Robert Plant. <laughs> Listen to that. The tone on that keyboard. I think it's the keyboard and the bass kind of pairing up. I love how the guitar doubles his vocals in this instead of it being a background vocal. This part right here is funky. It's a damn, it funky. damn funky. Well, he says he's going to use his tail on you. (laughs) I guess that kind of matches up with the album Uh, cover. Yep, that little little pointy part at the end. (laughs) The little curly cue there. (laughs) I think the slide was very appropriate for this song. Yes. Almost sounds like Sail Away, that part. And only you. No one else. Good. I want to know where that tail's been. <laughs> of course, don't let it be ignored that this line can this song contains the line in my time I've been a backdoor man. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. It's such a good groove though. Sounds like Rolling Stones right there. Your Lord in the background. Yeah. Just grooving There's along. There's like a percussive little hits on the keys. Yeah.
Nice. I love how you, you he tricks yeah. you at the end to thinking it's like, oh, this is going to be a bound, like one of those endings with every. Yeah. But then they, 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 they just trick you and then they do a tight ending. It's like genius. Yeah. Now that's a good one right there. That All is right. a good song, my friend. Love Hunter. Hey. <laughs> what, do, what do you say about Love Hunter? Two words. Love Hunter. Love Hunter. Love Space love, Hunter. Love Space Love Space Hunter. <laughs> and the album is um, Love I Hunter. don't hear Yeah, I don't hear the Kiss connection like at all. I can kind of hear like the very all. beginning of the song, but but yeah, I think you're trampled underfoot. Observation was was Just, was good. Um I'll give it a 4.5. All right. This has always been one of my favorite White Snake songs, um, especially on this album. Um, and um, yeah, one of my, that's actually one of my favorite parts is the, mm-hmm. it's just a great groove. And I love how the, the guitar is the, like the the backing vocal, so to speak, mm-hmm. for when he sings "Love Hunter Baby," um, rather than it being a background vocal, um, I just think it's a really uh, a really neat thing, um, very kind of subtle. But it's like I hear all these things in here is like, yeah, that's really bluesy. That's a really like bluesy thing to do because it's almost like the guitar is just like wailing in the background. Yep, um, almost like it's another voice. Um, and uh, like, uh, yeah, the percussive uh, John Lord in the background, uh, the slide solo, which um, is not as memorable as some of the earlier solos on the album. Uh, but um, I definitely think it was appropriate for the song. Like mm-hmm. if you went with, I mean, you I get, you could have gone with a, a, a like a, a, just like a blue, regular blues guitar solo on this, but I, I can't, honestly can't really hear it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the slide definitely fits better in this um, yeah. and all the different dynamics when they slow down and it's just the drums when they just go to love hunter, baby. Mm-hmm. And then the fake ending, it's just another example of how we were talking about. They, they kind of craft the songs a little bit and, and take that kind of bass idea and make it a little more elevated. Yeah. Part of what he did so well in, uh, or what he was part of doing so well in Mark Three and Mark Four Purple was taking those what could very easily just be a generic throwaway blues song and just giving it so much character and making it making it so interesting. Um, I think I'll give this one a four. I really like it for all the reasons you stated too, and I love the the slide guitar work by Moody is excellent throughout his time in white snake and i think slide guitar is one of those things it's so easy to make it sound overdone or make it sound too much or make it whatever um but they he always means he manages to use the slide to give white snake this very unique sound and it doesn't to me anyway, ever get to the point where it's like overdone or overused or like, Oh, here comes the slide Mm -hmm. guitar again. Cause man, like if you tried to throw slide guitar in as much as he does 
if most guitarists tried to do that, it would just be like, oh, more slide. You know, it's it's not something you necessarily want to hear in every song, but the, he somehow makes it work and makes makes it create the sound all its own. So good job to Mr. Mickey Moody. Okay. Next up, we have the track rounding out the middle of the second side here, Outlaw. <laughs> You're already good at some cool keyboard lines from John Lord coming in here. Almost sounds like a theremin. Or you got Coverdale taking the back seat. Not singing on this song. Like a, I think Paradise City ripped that off from White Snake. Look where the girls are pretty. <laughs> it's kind of sounded. I think Coverdale could have easily sang this, but I really like. Yeah. Um. I really like these vocals. So this is this is what this is Moody, right? Uh, Marsden. Marsden. Yeah. Sorry, for, uh, sorry, I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Yeah, another situation Moody, like with the previous album where Coverdale was really very much about the band aspect, and he said, "You know, this is your song. Why don't you sing it?" But even this part here, if David Coverdale had sang the lead vocals and that where the girls are pretty part was sung by them as the background, that still would have sounded great. Yep. But I think he does a great job on this. Like, I wouldn't change it. Marsden said there's a little thin Lizzie in, in this song, which I can kind of hear. He said, uh, Marsden said he always respected Phil Lynott and he really wanted to have a song, I guess, showing that. But very, um, Allman Brothers. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of different kind of influences in here. Yeah, like Allman Brothers, Thin Lizzy. But even throughout the album, you know, we're a little uh, little Led Zeppelin, a little bit of a nod to The Who. Yeah. Almost sounds like an Ian Gillen band patch. <laughs> Those are the sounds like Colin Towns would be getting. Just 
But Coverdale and Lord also get writing credits on this with Marsden. Even though Coverdale says this is Marsden's song. Oof. Again, another song that could have been ended in such a generic way, but they, 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 all the endings on all these songs have been great. I don't think we've heard a fade out yet, have we? <clears throat> uh, I don't think so. Uh, that maybe that part of that might have been the influence of John Lord. John Lord has always said, you know, a fade out is basically you giving up and admitting you don't know how to end a song. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, they haven't faded one out yet that I can remember. All right, Outlaw. What do you think of Outlaw? I'm going to give that one a four. Um, I think it would be really easy to, you know, call this a throwaway or filler or not as good because it's it's really different from everything else on the album. It's not it's not really it's not following that whole bluesy type pattern or motif that the album has. Um, and yeah, it's got that different vibe about it, and I love. Uh, Marsden singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, like John Lord's like keyboard solo is definitely different. It's not the, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like every, there's a lot of things in here that are just kind of like off center. They're out of left field, but it, it's good. It's just, it's really like, you know, um, I don't know. It's just a melodic, like good, memorable song you know it's actually one that when i saw the title i was just like oh yeah i remember i like that song um so yeah and i mean it just goes to follow that if i like um marsden's background vocals like i like his lead vocals as well and i just think that there's a lot of good uh, a lot of good melody in here and yeah it's good it's a nice change too because you hear like i was saying before that whole blues motif coverdale singing kind of gives you a break it gives you a little something different but not too different you know it still fits in with the album of course right i think so great song i'm gonna give this one a 4.5 yeah i really like it to me it's kind of in that we've we've kind of on the show for some reason grouped together songs in this category we've called um sato like uh the uh, the gypsy from stormbringer um from another time from from uh james gang from the bang album like we've kind of we've we've kind of created this category of songs that i can't really put my finger on what they are but they're kind of towards the end of an album and sort of rocking but in a weird understated way and they kind of set the stage for the finale and this one to me always kind of fit that bill for some reason it's like a song towards Mm -hmm. the end of the album that you're like this isn't the last song but it, it could if you needed it to be it could be the last song but it also just has this really great finality about it and i don't know how else to describe it but I think we've this is something we've unintentionally stumbled upon after doing over 100 episodes of this show. And I would loop I would put this song in that category. And I always love songs that capture that feeling. Mm, fair. So, fair enough. So that's how I feel about Outlaw. All right. 
And we got two more tracks on the album. The first one is a Coverdale and Moody song. And this one is called Rock and Roll Women. Kind of standard little intro there. Lyrics are just cracking me up. I don't know why. Because uh, <laughs> Coverdale's uh, "Let's Have Sex" song. <laughs> the Coverdale "Let's Have." <laughs> this song should be just called "Let's Have Sex." He's looking for a rock and roll woman. It seems funny to call it a one night stand because it's like, I mean, it's clearly talking like about groupies, like. And, and I, I guess technically they're white nights, one night stands, but. When I saw you the floor. It's that uh, Grand Funk uh, kind of uh, my captain. <laughs> What's that song? Yeah, kind of got, I'm your captain. I'm your captain. It kind of has that feeling to it. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. He's looking for those rock and roll women. <laughs> rock and roll women. High heel double trouble ro- backstage queen. <laughs> John Lord uh, wailing away back there. I think this is a 
a great John Lord solo that unfortunately they're all singing over. And I don't know if I'm crazy about that. Same. You know, I, that was a really nice solo, but I, I don't know. I almost feel like I almost feel like it was an inside White Snake joke. Like, let's just sabotage John Lord. <laughs> And it's it is really a shame that when he gets back with Deep Purple that he doesn't really shine on the first album either. Like why are you holding this titan of rock back? Right. Not that I mean, he, not, be a he doesn't have to have it, a blistering know? solo on every song, but he you know, like why do you have John Lord in your band if not to show what he can do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if John Lord was in my band, he just as soon as he hits the keys, I'd be like, right, everybody shut up. <laughs> if he was in my band, I'd be like, OK, it's just going to be John Lord soloing. Nobody else is even going to be backing him up. Just going to listen to John Lord solo <laughs> because well, let's let's face it. What am I going to do that's going to enhance anything he's doing? I'll just play quarter notes on the bass. He can just do whatever he wants. And I'd be as happy as could be to have him if he would if he would have me play bass for him. Um, all right. Rock and roll women. What do you think? Um, I'm going to give this one three. Um, I think this is the first filler track in here. Um, I didn't really like it. Um, I mean, at this point, I think it's just like, you know, they, they could have like you said they could have ended on outlaw that would have been enough mm-hmm. um i think the i don't know it's a little it's a little derivative with the kind of chuck berry guitar riff yeah that and, intro yeah is like the most standard like rock and roll bluesy yeah. rock and roll intro ever but i mean that notwithstanding it could have been a good song but this is the first song where it was just kind of like the arrangement was like all over the place mm. like i couldn't get a handle on like there was like i'm not every song's going to be like verse chorus verse chorus bridge solo but like i just i couldn't follow it and then Mm -hmm. everybody's singing over john lord's solo the lyrics were ridiculous (laughs) lyrics were ridiculous (laughs) um so yeah it wasn't wasn't one of my favorites Mm -hmm. you know I, i just think it was kind of like uh i don't know it feels like it was kind of phoned in you know, like, hey, let's write a song about groupies. Yeah. So, mm. but I mean, you know, we're all, we're pretty much at the end of the album. So, I mean, if that's the if this is the filler song, then good. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. Most of the album is great. This one is not. Yeah, and w- once again, it's another White Snake album that's got ten tracks on it, which is a lot of tracks, and a lot of these songs are. You know, five, four and a half, four forty-five, almost five mm-hmm. minutes, and they make it work for the most part. This one, uh, how long was this one? Um, Too long. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I think it was probably the same. Let's see here. Uh, four forty-three. Another one that's kind of four forty-five-ish, mm-hmm. which is like I think this could have been a three-minute song very easily. I will also give this a three, by the way. Um, I think it's it's a good standard okay song like if this was playing in the background you'd just kind of be doing your thing but upon close inspection yeah like if they had to leave a song off the album so far this would be the one for sure for me um even the other ones you know we've had a few here float in with a 3.5 and i think all of them have been really good this one 
I wouldn't give it a 2.5 because I think it's a good song, but it's a little kind of generic. And like I said, like, yeah, they should have just kind of, if anything, I would have given John Lord the awesome solo and faded it out on his solo rather than have the repetitive lyrics again and again and end it that yeah. way. But just feels like they were trying to do a jam with it, you know? Yeah, Even exactly. Like a live feel, but it just, it, feel, it felt like it was too, just kind of all over the place. Yep. Okay, well, here we go. The final track on the album. We wish you well. I'm sad to say It's time to go But until we meet again along the road Remember this On your journey Nice. And that's a song that I think he um that White Snake always ends their shows with. I, I don't know if they play it or they play it over the PA or um but I, I know I've seen <clears throat> that they that's something that they end their shows with. I mean I really I really like that one. Um I think it's kind of a little on the nose. Um like yeah. we're ending the album, so here's our goodbye song. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like this idea. It's not like they had an idea and mm-hmm. just kind of threw it down. Was it a minute and 30 seconds? But I yeah. like the fact that they didn't try and, I, I like the, sometimes there's a song where they just like, yeah, we don't, we don't have to stretch it out. Like, this is right. just kind of like a, like a little thing. Yeah, this is like um, a little motif that we have. We came up with it's 90 seconds. We're not going to. Yeah, they could have, like you said, stretched this off and had a had a big build up and made this into a four and a half, five minute song. And it probably just would have been too much. Yeah, I think it's kind of perfect the way it is. Yeah. And I mean, um, I mean, I really um, even though it's not an, an official version, you know, about a year ago when Coverdale was doing his. Um, his uh, acoustic songs on Twitter during like the first lockdown or whatever. Mm-hmm. This was one of the ones he did. And I think we ended off one of our episodes with it because it's just like the, the acoustic version that he did like on oh, his Twitter yeah. was just like, wow. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I won't judge that against this. I mean, I think just raw on its own, it blew this version away, but it just it kind of, kind of gave to me like a little more insight into like, wow, you know, these are just really 
you know, great chord changes and like, you know, really emotional. And it, it's just a, it's a great song. Um, just, just stripped down. Um, even though it's like, like I said, more of a, more of an idea than it is a song, mm-hmm. like a full song. But, you know, that being said, um, I'm going to give it a four because I like this version. I like the fact that, you know, it's appropriate to end the album. Um, they didn't do anything big and overblown with it. Like it's, it didn't overstay its welcome. It just was perfect the way it is. Yeah. Um, I will echo that and also give it a four. I think it's really, really well done. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I love little things like that, like just putting throwing in a song that's only a few minutes long. And I I think the only. Yeah, I think the only major criticism I'd have of this album is like they could have just left rock and roll women off altogether. If you had Outlaw, mm. which is kind of this, I think it's kind of cool to have this big finale song that's a little more powerful and then end it with this little more laid back song like this would have been really cool. But sandwiching rock and roll women in between the two of those. To me, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work. It seems, nah. it seems like well, we had the song around and we wanted to put it on the album rather than maybe what would serve the album best. But that's just my take right. on it. Right. So that's Love Hunter. Love Hunter. All right. So where does Love Hunter fall in the rankings? Uh, so we gave. Um, Love Hunter, a combined rating of uh, 7.85. Mm-hmm. It's a very small variance between us. Um, you liked it a little bit more. You gave it an overall 4.0. I gave it a 3.85. Um, and that falls uh, between, um, for us, um, a little bit above uh, Black Sabbath, Born Again. and one below rainbow down to earth. Mm-hmm. So that's where that album sits on our ratings. So a um, little bit on the, you know, uh, the middle, like upper middle. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of surprising given, um, I mean, how much I feel we liked this album, but I feel like there were, there were songs that we liked a lot more on other albums. Like there's a lot of good stuff on this album, but you know, if you look at the, you know, the albums that we, you know, kind of rated um, a lot higher than this one, uh, you know, obviously there's, you know, deep purple, um, you know, proper Coverdale's white snake, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in, in rock. Yeah. There's a lot more slightly above it, but you're also figuring it's like, what it's, uh, it's it didn't fall super super high in the rankings and we really really liked it but it's also starting after a hundred plus episodes to go against a lot of albums that we really liked so right um, right so so obviously it's you know to to in the for how many albums we've reviewed that we really really liked it's pretty high up in the ranking oh yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's definitely the the higher up yeah um but you figure this some, is this is a Sometimes 7.85 I, and then when you get to in rock is a 8.0 and then to get up to even an 8.1 you're at uh or 8. 
well, eight point one four like made in Japan. So it starts the, the 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 margin between the albums starts to get really really narrow, and our highest ever ranking is eight point seven two. So mm-hmm. it doesn't get too too much higher than this, right? But anyway, there you go, folks. There you go. Take it or leave it. And if you don't like it, you can go <laughs> mash some potatoes. <laughs> I like that one. I have to use that. So um, before we move on, uh, we do have to thank our foundation level patrons, the $1 made up name tier, the, the folks that we could not do this without. And you know what? We need more silly names. If you ever got a silly name and you want to donate and help support the show, Please go on a Patreon, find the Deep Purple podcast, look at our show notes and click the direct link and create a fake name, create a silly name. Try to outdo these guys. If you can do better than one of these silly names, then it's your obligation to donate a dollar to the show. And those names are Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, the Macabre Leaky Mausoleum, Michael Vader, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, sort of a real name, Raf Calf, and Spike the Rock Cat. Please join that fantastic group. Come up with something even better. Can you come up with a better name than Spike the Rock Cat? I don't think you can. I think that's why you don't donate. You're scared, you're afraid. You just don't think you can do it. You don't think you have what it takes. And you know what? I believe in you. I think you can come up with something at that level or above. So check it out. For the, for the love of God. For the love of Spike the Biker Cat. Make, make, make a fake name, will you? <laughs> Please. We're begging you. Um, so when this album came out, uh, Marsden said that the critics were... Uh, starting to take the the lyrics of the band too seriously and that they didn't take themselves very seriously. So Marsden said, um, lie down. I love you. It's not Shakespeare. You know, if somebody's going to say that it's like, seriously, what do you think? No, of course I'm not being serious. So they said, you know, the critics, I guess, were overanalyzing their lyrics. Um, Mm. As I said, Ian Pace joined the band right after this, after recording was done. Coverdale, being who he is, wants to re-record everything all the time. <laughs> Let's re-record a different version. Um, he wanted to get pace in the studio and overdub, and the record execs were like, no thanks, we've already spent enough in the studio. Marsden says, um, this is a traditional, al- uh, transitional album, rather. He says, Love Hunter is where they started to blossom in terms of signs and performance. I think that really shows. And he says that's the first album before pace, um, and they were kind of solid but they lack direction and he i guess marzen feels like when pace joined they really had a a firm grasp moving forward um so trouser presses john young says trouser press <laughs> when a heavy duty macho band starts to slow down or exhibits less than blind certainty about what it's doing expect trouble the problem isn't that white snake is engaged in a rehash of boogie bad company riffs though that's certainly in the case the fatal flaw is that they sound like they heard it all before how many ways can you thump your chest and grunt so not no really one of those overly wordy short but yet somehow overly wordy reviews of mm-hmm. an album 
Uh, Moody says that the yeah. these first two albums, the budget was pretty limited, so they were a little held back. Um, Moody also credits Ian Pace with kind of putting the band on track. And Marsden says they toured mostly the UK and Europe and that they were accused of being unfashionable. He says that then when they realized they were selling out venues on the tour, they said, well, let's carry on being unfashionable. Um, so want to want to go through. Does so that I, got, mean? I guess the, the critics were saying they're unfashionable. I mean, you got to think, too. I guess this is the point where like punk was really like coming into, you know, mm-hmm. like where it was, you know, if you want to be punk, you have to you have to wear the studded bracelet and be like anarchy and all that, whatever. Um, <laughs> Jorg was kind enough to send over a little archive of, I picked out, I cherry picked a few um, ads from his, or a few reviews rather from his stash. So here we go. This is a long one, but basically it ends with this. Love Hunter is with the exception of that last number, a near faultless album. So I guess he doesn't like the last last song. He does say, um, hey, <laughs> an uncanny resemblance to Zeppelin's Trampled Underfoot. In what oh, section of the song? See? Look at that. See that? And John did not read, read this I beforehand. I didn't even read this. I didn't read I this did beforehand not. either. I just picked it. I just opened it up now. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Good, good, uh, good on you for noticing that. Um, oh, yeah. He says his favorite is Outlaw, which I would kind of say might be my favorite, too. Um, this is followed by Rock and Roll Women, on which Coverdale continues his thoughts on the female race. <laughs> Not a race. Are they humans as well? Um, uh, what does he say? Um, it features a typical Johnny B. Good style intro, which you mentioned, with some tinkling piano from John Lord before developing into something far more complex than a basic rock and roll. Uh, this would have been fine time to close affairs, but unfortunately, a brief farewell tune has been included with Coverdale singing embarrassingly. I'm sad to say it's time to go home. You can guess the rest. So he doesn't like that last song. Well, we kind of liked it. So eh. Love Hunter is with the exception of that last number, a near faultless album, one that will no doubt sell a lot when it's taken on the road this country next month. White Snake will climb to greater heights, particularly since Ian Pace is now taken over. So there you go little review of love hunter there some pretty good thing i don't know i I like the ending it is a little weird coming after rock and roll women but um (laughs) we'll add for the album new album from white snake advertising in the uh melody maker with the with the famous album cover uh here's a three and a half star review says white man sings with forked tongue the last paragraph is, which leaves us where? This album's good. I like it. it. Rocks. But it's all too pleasant. It's warm and friendly, inviting and tuneful. It doesn't snarl even when it tries to. Check out the opening to Medicine Man, and you're left with this feeling that something's missing. I spy with my little eye something aimed at the American market. Ah, so a British person looking down their nose on America. Mm. We're all too familiar with that. Paul Souter. Um... Yeah, so and, and this is a common theme I've noticed. You like, know that, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean it. It kind of makes the point. Um, it makes a good point. Is that um, kind of puts a, a finger on that? Is that it? Um, the record really doesn't snarl. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's, um, and I think that goes to the production. 
You know, yeah. it's not, I think that means to say it's not, it's not a raw mm-hmm. blues album. It's very, um, it's very polished for its time. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I mean, if it were a little bit more raw, I, yeah, I might've given some of the things a little more, a uh, little higher rating, but you know, I, I think that that's, um, kind of a good, actually a good observation. Well, it's a common one. And interesting. I, in, in going through these Yorg articles, I've, I've kind of noticed a common theme, which is people saying this isn't like hard hitting enough or they're too, they're too happy you know, but I, that's kind of what I always liked about early White Snake, and something that, quite frankly, I didn't like as much about the late '80s White Snake is I feel like there's like a, a cheekiness and a fun aspect to these albums that you don't hear in the 1987 mm-hmm. album. Like it's, the, that album's very serious, True. almost dare I say, brooding. You know, and and this one. I feel like there's like a, like you know you hear Coverdale like just say woo and like doing things like that and these piano riffs it just to me there's a lot of fun in these albums and and that's part of why I I don't I never really got into White Snake when I was first introduced to them around the time that you know the 1987 album came out and slip of the tongue and that sort of thing um but he's not the first one to make this observation mm-hmm. this is a, an interview or an interview a review from um New Musical Express, um, White Snake, Love Hunter, and Foreigner Head Games. So they start off talking about pornography. <laughs> so obviously talking about um, pornography, it could be said, is not simply what which tit- titillates, but more precisely that which titillates in a crude base level and gratifactory fashion. Titillation, which insults the intelligence to satisfy the libido, forcing the recipient into the role of sexual slug. That'd be a good name for a band or an album, Sexual Slug. The new album from Whitesnake and Foreigner have more than their fair share of pornographic moments. So here we go. It's kind of reviewing both albums together. Interesting take. Um, Whitesnake Strike a Chord. This is from an unknown source by Kate Fonts. Uh, ends with plant like ooyahs and ear splitting decibels certainly made for a night to remember the young uh youthful and predominantly male audience so this is actually talking about a show a review um turn of the purple people another here um love hunter ad another um review of a show Here's an interesting, so there, this is an ad promoting both Love Hunter and Gillen Mr. Universe album, which would have been coming out at the same time. Hmm. From uh, Music Joker. Another <laughs> show review. Um, this review is called <laughs> Lukewarm Libido. First Mild Macho and now Lukewarm Libido. Uh, this is a, a, a show review, though. Um... So this is a review of the single Long Way From Home. Sounds dangerously bland and old-fashioned compared with the new wave of heavy metal bands. But if Richie Blackmore can do it with Since You've Been Gone, which this resembles in spirit and execution, then I guess Whitesnake can be taken to your bosom too. Hang on, I've just played it a second time and I'm beginning to like it. Nurse, quick! So I guess this is like a guy that's (laughs) upset that he likes this song, you know? He's just like, oh my god, I can't believe I like it. God forbid. Another single right. review. 
Um, here's a German <laughs> a German review where the, it's funny they put an X over the lady's butt on the uh, cover, even though there you can still see it very clearly. <laughs> I think it's talking about maybe some of the controversy about the album title, but I don't speak German, so I can't tell you for sure. Mm-hmm. Mix Moody Blues, the White Snake guitarist on smiling rock and roll. So there's another kind of article about like, oh my god, these rock guys are smiling. It's like it's almost like they're having a good time. And to me, you know, like that's kind of what I really didn't like about like the grunge era when we were coming out of the glam rock stuff. And I never liked that like brooding, like oh, we're so sad making rock and roll music, and we've got to make. I don't I like. I love a good sad song or a good like emotional moody song but um the thought that you could never be caught smiling or having fun while making music was kind of a grim prospect and it seems like a lot of that was present even here what like 20 years earlier um i guess god only like 10 years earlier oh it's crazy to think like nirvana was like 10 years after this album like they were recording right that's crazy that doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I, I like the fact that, that White Snake was upbeat and having fun and, you know, having a good time with it. Um, so, yeah, I got a lot of good stuff. This one's from, I don't know if it's Rocksteady is the name of the publication or whatever, but it's kind of like a line drawing of the album cover. And then it's got a picture of the band with Ian Pace. So this is, you know, like between the album coming out and Pace joining. Um, and it's just kind of a little almost looks like a press release about the album I'll put some of the stuff in the show notes too but lots of reviews lots of stuff about how um, the band was maybe like a little too they're too happy to be making rock and roll or whatever which I think is nonsense but some cool stuff big thanks to uh, York for sending all that stuff over really appreciate it but I think there you have you we're we're going pretty long tonight that's uh that's love hunter and uh i don't know got anything else to say john before we wrap it up nope <laughs> we wish you well we wish you well we should play that out for everybody i'm sad to say it's time to go <laughs> so corny you're so we corny. wish you well we do we wish you well we do we do wish you well um yeah but thanks everybody thanks for listening we will be back at you next week with some other new nonsense who knows what it'll be we don't actually know yet so we're gonna have to figure that out later but thanks for listening once again and we will see you next week we wish you well thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Hey, quit staring at my wife's diamond bags. <laughs>